Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Didn't they do a good job this morning? Would you give a hand to the kids and the choir one more time? Guys, we're... We're not about singing songs. We're discipling and training up the next group of worship leaders. The next uh, group of people who understand that one day we're going to be surrounding a throne. Day by day, singing songs to the God who sits on the throne and to Jesus the Lamb. And we're going to be worshiping Him forever. And so, Lord, that does my heart good. I pray that it does yours too. If you'd grab your Bible and to go to Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, and then when you grab your Bible, would you stand with me? And let's honor the reading of God's Word. Stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you. You can turn it on also, swipe it up or whatever, click your button. Uh, also, I, I just want to encourage you, um, bring your Bible to church. I feel like that's a dust statement, but bring your Bible. It says this, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, all that she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would come, send your Holy Spirit into this place right now, and God, would you please overwhelm us with your presence. Father, there are people that have come with all kinds of needs, all kinds of hurts, all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of requests, all kinds of sickness, all kinds of baggage that we have brought into this room, and we confess today, Lord, that Jesus Christ is our only hope in this world and in the one to come. And we ask, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, that you would come and speak to our hearts, that by your word and by your spirit, we might be transformed into your likeness from one degree of glory to another, that we'd leave here different, not because of Pastor Ryan, but because of your Holy Spirit, Lord, please come speak. In Jesus' name, for his sake and his glory, we pray these things. Everybody said? Amen. Please be seated. Now, a bunch of you are probably going, hey, it's going to be a sermon about generosity and giving. And you would be mistaken, because today um, we're not preaching about generosity. Although that would be a really good text to use, potentially, for generosity. Uh, I don't believe that's the intention of the text here. I think the intention of the text is something far greater than generosity. Something that generosity spurs from, but not something that generosity deals with. Okay, 
And so today we're going to be talking about Jesus, our greatest treasure. Jesus, our greatest treasure. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Experiencing the Real Jesus. That sounds like a weird thing to call a sermon series, Ryan. Why'd you call a sermon series that? Because I think that many of us have grown up in church and we are so familiar with the Jesus of our, um, our upbringing that we have failed to see the Jesus of the Bible. Familiarity often breeds contempt in our hearts. And I want you to know that it was the very people that thought they knew Jesus best that didn't know Jesus at all. It was his very hometown that rejected him. And my job as a pastor is to proclaim uh, the word of God, to lift up Jesus before people. I can't change your heart. I can't lead you to truth. I can't convict you of sin. But I want to show you the Jesus that I've come to know and love and my prayer is that by the end of it, you'll come to know and love Him too. And if you do already know Him and love Him, that your knowledge of Him and love of Him would only increase in the days to come. That's my hope for you. That's my hope for you today. So I want to talk about Jesus, our greatest treasure. Now, the first thing that I want you to see in this passage is crystal clear to me, is the point one, Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees the heart. Now let's look at the text together. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw the poor widow put in two small copper coins. Now, I don't just understand, Jesus sits across from the temple treasury and he sees all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds from all over the country, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, coming to bring all kinds of gifts uh, of little to big sizes and puts them in the temple treasury and the only comment the only comment that's recorded is this very comment the only time where it seems like Jesus is impressed or amazed or marvels at a gift is not the gifts that are huge but it's this lady's gift and I don't even think that it has to do with the gift itself it has to do with her heart behind the gift I want, I want you to understand a little of the text here. It says that she gave two um, small copper coins in the English Standard Version. Uh, the Greek is actually the word lepta. Lepta. Now, a lepta was worth about one one hundred and twenty-eighth of a denarius, which is a day's wage for a laborer. So, 128 times a lepta was, um, was a day's wage. Was a day's wage. Now, in July of 2021. Let me just put this in a little perspective. July of 2021, the uh, average hourly income across the United States of America was $11.50. So if we use $11.50, give or take, and let's just hypothetically say that a person works nine hours in a day, brings home $100 per day, that, those two lepta would be the equivalent of $1.56 in our economy. $1.56. Now that might not seem like an extravagant gift, does it? $1.56. And Jesus looks at her and he, 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 he's blown away. He makes a comment about this lady's $1.56 offering into the offering box. Do you think that he had not seen much greater offerings given that day? He had. But what we don't see is uh, a lady from this heart. 
giving from this heart. I want you to understand, it says that she was a widow. She's a poor widow. Now, the, the Greek says a necessitous widow. A necessitous widow. Now, I don't use that word on a regular basis. Anybody ever use the word necessitous this week? Me neither. Me neither. So I had to, I had to look that one up in my dictionary. And the dictionary says that necessitous means that she couldn't meet her own needs. She couldn't even meet her own needs. So she's a widow. And when I say a widow, she's not a widow that has a family to take care of her. But she's a widow that can't meet her own needs. And she truly depends on the, the, the mercy of other people to meet her own needs. And she brings this gift. Do you start to see the picture? You start to see the picture of the grandness of her gift. Isn't the amount of her gift, but the heart from which it comes. And she gave two lepta. And Jesus goes head over heels. Why? It's not her gift. It's her heart. It's her heart. I want you to see a comparison that's made in 21, 3 through 4. Let's look at it. It says this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. What Jesus is not saying is more in amount, but more in contrast. More in comparison. More in percentage. They all contributed out of their abundance. They, look at the word, contributed out of abundance. So they had lots left over and they contributed out of their abundance. But this is what the Word of God says. But she out of her poverty, she out of her poverty, the the Greek word for poverty can mean deficit. Out of her deficit, she put in all she had to live on. The Greek phrase there is pantaton bion. It literally means all her life, all her living. She put in everything in the offering box that day. Everything. All her entire living. Everything that she or you or I might have depended on for today or tomorrow's meals, she put it in the offering box. And Jesus sees that. He sees her need. He sees her heart. He knows her intimately inside and out. He sees her heart, not the amount of her gift. He sees the generosity within, not the tithing without. Are you with me? And he sees that, and he comments on it. Not only does he comment, but he makes her the center of his teaching there in the temple. I want you to understand that, and I say this all the time, a lot of people say, well, that's why I don't like church. All they want is your money. All churches want is your money. Let me tell you something. We don't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. Some of you are going, good, because I don't have a lot to give. He wants your heart. The greatest treasure that Jesus wants from you is not financial, but it's that thing inside of you. And I don't mean that physical organ that beats blood. I mean the soul of you, the very being of you that makes you you, the the very thing that's been created in the image of God. He wants you to put that in the offering box this morning. He wants your heart. And see, here's the problem. In the American church, many of us have given him our tithe, 
we've tipped to him, we've contributed out of our abundance, but many of us in the pews that we sit in today have still never given him our heart. And that's problematic for us. It's problematic for us because what we're going to find at the end of our days is that all of our tipping and giving and tithing and generosity didn't do anything because we never gave Jesus what he wanted most. It's not going to accomplish what we hope that it will. I want you to understand in the, in the text today, uh, her generosity reveals a lot about her heart. It, it doesn't reveal how much is in her bank account. It does reveal what is in the content of her heart. Her generosity revealed that she trusted in the Lord, her God, who would provide for her needs. Her generosity revealed that her priority is God over self. Her generosity freed her from the idol of self or consumerism that my life, the, the purpose of my life is to get and to save and to store. Her generosity this day revealed the location of her treasure. And the location of her treasure was not in an offering box, but it was in the one who indwelt the temple. I want you to understand that Jesus sees the heart. And that is a wonderful terrifying thought it's a wonderful and terrifying thought that that jesus sees through our heart let me let me tell you jesus sees through our nice clothes this morning he sees through our well-made-up selves he sees through all the religious things that we've done this morning he sees through our words as we walked in the door how you doing great brother how are you if i was any better i'd be twins he sees right through that. He sees our heart. And that is a beautiful and terrifying thing. I want you to understand that God is all-knowing. I want to give you a couple scriptures to, to support this. Look at Jeremiah 17.10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. But what does he say? I search the heart and the mind. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. It says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. What's so beautiful about that is you've got a passage in Jeremiah where it's Yahweh speaking. And then in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says the same thing. Remember, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I want you to understand this morning, we can't hide from God. You can't hide from Him. Did you know people tried that one time? It didn't go so well. I want you to rewind your mind all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, gave them freedom to do everything they wanted save one a rule, one command, don't eat of that tree, but all the other trees in the garden you can eat of. And, 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 and they, they broke that commandment. They rebelled against God's authority. And when they did, their eyes were open. They saw their shame. And what did they do? They sewed together what? Fig leaves to make coverings for themselves. I want you to understand, you and I, that is our story. 
When we sinned against a holy God, you and I started to put religious fig leaves together, to sew them together to cover our shame, to make us feel better about ourselves, to try to hide our true selves from the, the God who sees and knows. We can't hide from Him. We can't hide from Him. And then it says, after sewing fig leaves together, they heard the Lord walking in the cool of the garden, and they hid from Him. Can I just tell you, that's probably the most heartbreaking verse in all of the Bible right there to me. That the very ones who were created to walk with the Lord, who knew God, walked with Him in the cool of the day in the garden. They knew Him face to face, created in His image, perfect in communion, had fellowship with the one true living God day by day by day. Any time they needed Him, He was right there before them. They didn't have faith, they had sight. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And the most heartbreaking verse in all of the Scripture is one chapter later, they hid from the very one whom they loved just moments before. And that's our story. As we rebel against the Creator, as we rebel against the Lawgiver, as we rebel against God, we go into hiding. We try to hide our shame and our filth and our past, the things that we want that nobody would ever find out. Come on now, I'm not the only one with some of those things that you're hiding way down deep inside your heart. That you, you would hate to ever be exposed. And I want you to know that you can't hide from the Lord this morning. He sees your heart. He sees your heart. See, they were naked and unashamed. And now they were covered yet full of shame. They were covered yet full of shame. Jesus sees you this morning. Genesis 16 reveals that God has a name. One of God's names is El Roy, which means the God who sees me. The God who sees me. He sees your heart, He sees your past. He sees your shame. He sees your regret. He sees your sin. And let me tell you, you can sow as many fig leaves as you want, but you can't hide from God. Psalm 139 says, Where will I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths of Sheol, you're there. He, he says, It doesn't matter where I go. You find me out. You search me out. We can't run from Him. We can't hide our past from Him. And can I just tell you this morning, you don't have to. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus sees you. He sees your heart. He wants to be your greatest treasure. But He sees your heart. The second thing I want you to see is that we have to treasure Jesus first. We need to treasure Jesus first. Treasuring Him first. Why? Why do we treasure Jesus first in my life? That sounds very egotistical. Sounds very egotistical where God comes and He makes a demand and says, i got to be first in your life. Wow, God. You have an ego problem? No, He is who He says He is. It would be egomaniacal if I said that, amen? I need to be first in your life. But it's not ego when God says He's got to be first in your life. Because He is who He says He is. Because only He can 
fulfill you. Only He can satisfy you. He is your creator. He is the one who knows how your life works best. And He comes into our lives and He says, No, you got to treasure me first. And we need to treasure Jesus first. Why? Here's what I want you to hear. I've never said these words, and even as I'm about to say them, I'm I'm wrestling with how I'm going to say them. Why do we need to treasure Jesus first? The first reason is because God did. God treasured Jesus. I've never said that before. Not out loud, at least. And here's what I want to prove to you. Look on the screen at John chapter 14, verse, or 17, verse 24 and 26. It says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Earlier in the passage, Jesus says, glorify me with the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. I want you to understand that inside the Godhead, there is perfect union and communion, and each one treasures and cherishes the other. And what we see in the, 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 the text here in John chapter 17 is that God the Father loved Jesus tremendously before the foundation of the world, and He wants you to also. It's what we were created for. We were created to treasure Jesus. Let me prove it, okay? Go way back in mankind to Genesis. Mankind was created to treasure God above all things. Above all things. But a chapter later it went wrong. Oh, just remember the story. There were two named trees in the garden. There, we don't have names of any other trees. There wasn't an apple tree and a pomegranate tree and a whatever kind of tree. It was just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, boo, and the tree of life. Yay, right? Those are the only two trees that are named in the text. And I want you to understand that God says you, can, you have free dominion. You can eat from any tree in the garden, including the tree of life. They had access to the tree of life. You only have one rule. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God in that time was wanting to give them what their hearts desired most. He was wanting to give them eternal life with Himself to, that, that God would satisfy the deepest longings of their soul. God was there. He wanted them to treasure Him first. It was what they were created for. But they chose to try to find their treasures apart from God. And I want you to understand, look at me, church family, that's our story. That's what we've done. We do it in different ways. We try to find our treasures apart from God. They might have asked themselves a question that day. I wonder if God's holding out on us. You ever thought that before? I wonder if God's holding out on me. It makes me happy to do this, and why can't I do it? Does God not want me to be happy? No, He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be holy. And so they, they doubted God's goodness, and they sought to find treasure apart from God. They rebelled against Him, and you and I do the same thing. I want you to understand, in this passage out of Luke chapter 21, Jesus sees her heart, and I believe what we see in her heart is that Jesus, or God, was her greatest treasure. 
And I want you to know that Jesus wants to be your greatest treasure. So how do I know what my treasure is? Before I can have Jesus as my treasure, I've got to acknowledge what my treasure actually is. Let me ask you a few questions. And I want you to, to, to sit for a moment and sit with the Lord and say, Lord, what, what about me? Let me ask you a question. If you were to die tomorrow, God forbid, if you were to die tomorrow, what would be your greatest regret that you've lost? What would, what would, be, what would you regret losing most? That right there might reveal the location of your greatest treasure. Have you ever prayed for something and God did not give you what you asked for? How did you respond when God did not answer your prayers the way he wanted or way you wanted him to answer them? That might reveal what your treasure actually is. What causes you the most anxiety in life? Falling off the stage is what causes me anxiety. What causes you the most anxiety in life? Family? Finances? That could be your treasure. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 gives us a word of advice. He says this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Now here's something fun for you. Okay, the Greek word treasure is the, the Greek word that we get our English word thesaurus from. Thesaurus. Now, what is a thesaurus? It is a treasure chest of words and phrases. Treasure chest of words and phrases. Phrases, But the treasure chest that Jesus is talking about is not a thesaurus, but rather our hearts. He's saying, don't store up in your heart things on earth. Don't do it. Don't do it. And what he says is, do not, the, 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 the way that would literally be said is, do not treasure your treasures on earth. Don't treasure your treasures on earth. A treasure is anything in our lives that we place our attentions and our affections on. It's anything that you value above other things in your life. And I want you to know, Jesus is not against treasures. He's not against treasures. He's not against you having things. There was a teaching that went on for a long time that the poorer you were, the more righteous you were. And that's not necessarily true. There's a teaching right now that goes on that says the richer you are, the more righteous you are. Both of them are false. Jesus isn't against treasures. He's not against treasures at all. But Jesus is warning us that our treasures can take up residence in the, His throne room that He alone has claim to. It's a warning for you and me that I hoard up treasures in my heart and I push him out of the very place that he wants to reside. Are you with me, church? And worse, what's worse is in all of those things I put my hope in, they will all fail, and I've crowded out the only one who can truly satisfy my soul. With 
earthly treasures. What does he say? Don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and, moth and rust, thieves, they'll get gone. So how do you know? How do you know when Jesus has become your greatest treasure? How do you know? The best answer I can give is that when Jesus no longer becomes a means to an end, but rather when he becomes the end itself. And in your life, is Jesus a means to something greater? I just want peace, God. I just want, I just want my life to go okay. I just want a good job. I just want... And oftentimes, Jesus can become a means to an end. And a more religious way to do that is, I can't wait to get to heaven. Jesus is the way I get to heaven. I can't wait to get to heaven because when I get to heaven, I get to see auntie and uncle and mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa. And heaven's going to be so sweet when I get up there. And I want you to understand that if that's your version of heaven, your version of heaven's incorrect. Because in that version of heaven, Jesus is a means to an end. But what Scripture tells us is that Jesus is not just a means to an end, but Jesus is heaven itself. It's the point of heaven. The point of heaven is a throne. God sits on it. And at His right hand is the Lamb. And day by day, it will be Him that satisfies us. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. There's going to be a mansion set up for me. I get a new body. Jesus is a means to an end for you. Has anybody ever said this to you? Is this new? Is this old? Have you heard this before? Because some of you are looking at me like a, a young cow that's caught in a gate for the first time. You're like, what in the world? Is my fly down or something? What's going on? Have you heard this before? If, I just want you to understand today that you know when Jesus is your treasure because Jesus is no longer a means to an end, but Jesus is the end. That's the gift of the gospel. The gift of the gospel is not simply that I'm forgiven. The gift of the gospel is not that I get to go to heaven. The gift of the gospel is not that, ultimately. Those are good things. Can I get a witness? That's a God. Praise God, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I've been washed in the blood. Can I get an amen? I'm glad y'all are with me now. Praise God that God is and has been preparing a place for you and for me, a room in His house that we get to come and live in. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that He's going to receive you one day into His glory? Man, I can't wait for that day. But that's not the goal of heaven. That's not the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is that Jesus brings you to God. What do I get in the gospel? You get God, full and unrestricted access to God anytime you want. Do I need a mediator? Nope, because Jesus is the mediator. Is there a time schedule? Does he have open and closed hours? Nope, anytime anywhere, anyhow. The gift of the gospel is that you and I get the thing that we need most and the thing that our heart actually craves and we just don't know it yet. 
I know that Jesus is my treasure when he's no longer means to an end. So, okay, how do I end? I've got to get practical. How do I end? How do I treasure Jesus? How do I treasure Jesus? Let me, let me try to make this a little practical here. The first thing you need to do, if you want to learn to treasure Jesus in your life, the first thing that you and I need to do is we need to see Jesus' poverty. You need to see Jesus' poverty. Here's what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let me tell you what that means. You've got to dumb that down for me because I'm a little slow on the get-go. So here's what God said to me. That Jesus left the treasures of heaven to come for the poverty of the world so that you could leave the poverty of the world and gain the treasures of heaven. Jesus took off his crown of glory. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I might get the glories that he left through his sacrifice. If, and if, if I'm going to ever treasure Jesus, the first thing I got to do is I got to see his poverty. I got to see the suffering of my Savior on a cross. I've got to see it. I've got to behold him with my eyes. And when I behold him, when I lay my eyes upon his poverty, I will never be the same. I've got to see my poverty, and I've got to see my poverty too. I want you to understand who we are in the story. Luke chapter 21, he wants me to be the poor widow. I am a poor man. Did you know that you're spiritually poor too? Jesus says, in fact, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, the entrance into the kingdom is not your, these are all of the things that I have done for you, Lord. But rather, I come to him with empty hands of faith. I come to him and I say, I have nothing, I bring nothing to you except a simple confession that Jesus Christ died for me. It's called the empty hands of faith. i got to see his poverty. The second thing, that if, if I'm ever going to treasure Jesus in my life, i got to understand what I treasure, I will pursue. What I treasure, I pursue. Let me tell you, there was a day in time in our country where there were rumors of gold in them hills. And people from the East Coast left the East and went West in search of treasure. They left everything, didn't they? Traveled a long distance and pursued their treasure. They pursued their treasure. And I want you to understand that if you and I are ever going to treasure Jesus, we've got to pursue Him. We've got to leave the safety of our home. We've got to pursue Jesus day by day. Pursuit is about attention and time. Where do you spend your attention and time throughout the day? Anybody with me? You got to be looking at me to see what I'm doing. I did something a few months ago, maybe even closer to a year ago, that, that every Sunday it gives me a, a, an average of how much time I spent on my phone throughout the week. Don't do it. It'll scare you. You'll go, what did I do with myself today? 
where do you spend your time, your attention? Let me, what I treasure, I pursue. What I treasure, I pursue. And let me tell you something. Jesus wants to be your treasure, and that means we need to pursue him. We need to pursue him. And I seek Jesus day after day through his word and, and his prayer, or and through prayer. Through his word and through prayer and, until this happens. I want you to look at Psalm 119, verse 36 to 37. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Man, I want that to be true in my life. But I've got to pursue Jesus day by day. I've got to give him my time and my attention. There's a scripture in Psalm chapter 90, verse 4 that says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I need to pursue Jesus until he inclines my heart to his testimonies and not to selfish gain, until the eyes of my heart are turned from looking at worthless things, until I see that I have life in his ways, and I, I pursue Jesus as treasure until my heart is satisfied in the morning with his steadfast love. I pursue Jesus day by day, moment by moment, ongoing, until I behold the Lamb of God, until I see him. And until I see his supremacy and his greatness and his goodness and his kindness, and I, I seek him and I savor him and I taste and see that the Lord is good, and you know what's going to eventually happen? The little idols in my life are going to lose their glamour when I behold Jesus. When I behold him day after day, lesser treasures lose their power and their draw in my life and i pursue jesus until he eclipses it in beauty and supremacy everything else let me tell you i'm not there i'm not there i pursue him until my fickle heart isn't as prone to wonder as it was we read the word because jesus is my treasure and we look upon our treasure until we live for him. That's the third thing I want you to see about treasuring Jesus. What we treasure, we live for. And I won't talk about this for too long, but, but my, my treasures, the things that I treasure, always, always determine my priorities. Have you noticed that? When something's important to you, it seems like your whole world revolves around it. Have you gone through, you raised kids, right? Many of you raised kids and you, you had seasons of your life where it all revolved around baseball practices and soccer practices and violin classes and whatever else. And you thought, oh my gosh, when am I ever going to catch a break, right? What was important to you, you lived for. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more important, nothing more worthy of living for than Jesus, our great treasure. What you determine or what you treasure determines your priorities. Your heart will always follow your treasure. And Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth because they're only going to leave you wanting. Store up treasures in heaven because they'll always satisfy. Here's the good news as I close. Here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that when you begin to treasure Jesus, there's nothing that can take that treasure away.
When, when your treasure is in heaven on the throne, there's nothing, nothing that can take that treasure away from you. When your satisfaction is in Christ, there's nothing that can take that away from you and I. Why? Because our treasure's Jesus, and nobody can take Jesus from you. They can take your money, they can take your stuff, they can take your life, but they can't take Jesus from you. When your peace is in Jesus, nobody can steal that peace. When your joy is in Jesus, nobody can steal that joy. Are you with me, church? What great news of the gospel that is. So let me tell you, here's some of us, some of us in this place, we need to repent and we need to turn to Jesus for salvation because we've been just like Genesis. We've been saying, God, you're holding out on me. We've been looking for love in all the wrong places. We've been looking for our treasure in all the wrong places when God was holding himself out to you saying, I'm the only one who can satisfy So today, some of you just need to come and find satisfaction in the well of living water that never runs dry. And others of us, like me, have been walking with Jesus, yet I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we need to say to Jesus, here's my heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. And we need to learn to find satisfaction in Jesus as we seek Him and pursue Him in His Word day by day. I don't know how the Lord's leading you to respond, but would you stand with me? If the Lord's telling you something, if the Lord's speaking to you today, please don't ignore Him. You can ignore me all you want. Don't ignore Him. Obey Him. Do what He's asking. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love You. I thank You for chapters and verses like Jeremiah 2.13 that says, My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water at all. Father, we have searched for treasure in all of the wrong places. Would you please convict our heart and remind us again and again, day by day, that Jesus is the living water. Whoever comes to him and drinks will never be thirsty again. He is the bread of life. Whoever eats of him will never, no, never be hungry again. That he is the all-satisfying one and he is extending himself to us that we might come to him and drink deeply. Oh God, would you come? would you come and... And prove to us day by day, morning by morning, that you are our greatest treasure. We love you. We need you. Now help us to respond to you. Not just in these moments of invitation, but in the days of our life that lay ahead of us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As we sing.